Hi, I'm Janae Myers, CEO of Chicago Cares, and welcome to How Chicago Cares, our weekly podcast series exploring how Chicagoans can care for one another and make an impact during COVID and beyond. As the city's leading provider of volunteerism, Chicago Cares is committed to helping us expand our definition of what it means to serve, to connect, and to support one another, especially in these challenging times. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Michelle Morales, president of the Woods Fund Chicago, about structural racism and how we can build towards a more equitable future. The COVID-19 pandemic and worldwide protests against police brutality have brought inequity to the forefront of the national conversation. We'll talk to Michelle about what she's seeing and where do we go from here. But before we get to our conversation with Michelle, I want to share a quick spotlight of how one very special Chicagoan is caring right now. Carrie Blackwell was one of hundreds of volunteers to participate in Chicago Cares' recent supply drive to support our community partners on the south and west sides. Carrie rallied her colleagues and family to donate supplies on Friday in anticipation of Saturday's large-scale event. Carrie feels strongly about the persistent and heightened challenges facing our city and was honored to work alongside others passionate about advancing positive change in our city and our country. Thank you, Carrie. Let's turn to our special guest and a dear friend of mine, Michelle Morales. Michelle is the president of the Woods Fund Chicago, a local foundation that is explicitly committed to centering racial equity and honoring the art of organizing and advocacy. Prior to leading the Woods Fund, Michelle was the executive director of the Chicago chapter of the Mikva Challenge, a civic engagement organization that trains teachers and develops youth councils for civic institutions. Michelle has also been a teacher and a community organizer. Okay, Michelle, welcome to How Chicago Cares. We are so honored to have you join us. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. So can you kick us off by telling us more about the Woods Fund Chicago and what makes you passionate about this work? Yeah, Woods Fund Chicago is a foundation that focuses its giving in uh, the Chicago metropolitan area. Uh, we're one of the smaller foundations, if you will, and one of the few foundations, I think there's about six of us total, who explicitly fund uh, community organizing and public policy advocacy. So that is really the only the two, if you will, portfolios that we have is community organizing and public policy advocacy. Um, I'm passionate about this work because my background is in organizing. I was an organizer for um, many years with the uh, Puerto Rican independence movement and with the uh, uh, national release of uh, Puerto Rican political prisoners. And so um, the intersectionality of my skill set, um, and then bringing that to Woods Fund as a person who for over 20 years has been in the nonprofit sector. So it's my first time in philanthropy on this side, if you will, of, of, of the, on the, you know, this side of the fence, if you will, in philanthropy, um, I think brings a, a new lens to the work, uh, of how we work with organizers, but also how we work in the nonprofit sort of ecosystem. Yeah, the one thing I love about you, Michelle, is when we had some conversations about you starting this new job and again being on the giving side instead of the asking side traditionally, um, yeah. you were like, I'm not going to learn the traditional philanthropy because it's broken. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I credit a lot of my close friends. You're one of them when I was freaking out about not knowing the sector 
I remember you were one of the people that also said, you don't have to know the sector. You're bringing a different lens and a different viewpoint. And so use that. Uh, and it's exactly right, right? We know, um, you know, as me being a former nonprofit leader, you being a current nonprofit leader, Janae, like how much um, philanthropy has kind of contributed um, to what we see a lot in the nonprofit ecosystem, um, but then also in the larger landscape. Um, and it really nonprofit, you know, I'm hoping that the current crisis, double crisis, if you will, the uprising and the pandemic that we are witnessing as a city and as a country really pushes our sector to some transformative change. We And, and we have to. Uh, I, I think we are just at a this moment in time right now where it's we're ready to. And again, I want to give credit to Michelle's leadership and and the push on the board at the Woods Fund. But tell us about what you did um, kind of right away as soon as the pandemic hit. Uh, you came out with some really bold plans on your, your giveaway and uh, really stood out as far as organizations here in Chicago as a foundation, what you were willing to give to communities. Yeah, so we um, took... Um, you know, I have always been one of those nonprofit leaders that was very critical of the percent of payout of nonprofits. Um, and I still am, even though I'm on this side of the fence. So, um, you know, it was really an opportunity to walk our board through. I will also say the board did not need much walking. I was, I was shocked how quickly this was approved to increase our payout for this fiscal year. Um, we normally give out 6%, and so we were able to increase it to 8%. Um, because we knew that organizations um, needed support, um, we know, right, that the nonprofit sector, um, in terms of revenue, has been pretty decimated, uh, particularly early on in the pandemic. Fundraisers were being canceled. You know, all this, uh, I heard horror stories of some foundations shifting uh, grants towards other things and then, you know, leaving um, nonprofits kind of straggling. So, we made a very clear decision of honoring all of our spring grantees, not reducing any of that funding. We also made a decision to prioritize our support to organizations of uh, budgets of a million or less, uh, mm -hmm. because we knew that within, you know, we know, you and I know that within the sector, there's disparity, right? Within the sector, there are organizations that are really operating on shoestring budgets. And so we knew that if anyone was going to get hit by uh, revenue and feel it in a way that might literally uh, jeopardize their existence. Uh, we so that we use that lens to prioritize uh, nonprofits of a million dollars or less, and we gave them uh, grants of a little over ten thousand dollars worth of no application. It was just literally like, hey, we're giving this to you. Um, please use it for our, however you need to use it. We just need you to sign a grant receipt. Wow. <laughs> so, but uh, to take away those barriers is huge. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you and I know, right, how much time we used to spend and oh. all the applications and the reports and every, nothing was the same. And, you know, you, you, you know, the, we know that the best, right, nonprofits that are able to pull in the most capital have huge development teams. Right. Because you have to manage uh, everything, if you will, that the philanthropic sector throws at you. And so you know, the smaller nonprofits who don't have that, they're just trying to keep their heads above water. I get it. I get it. And, you know, I think the other thing that um, philanthropy stepped up into was also converting, you know, very specific grants to general operating support. Now, not many of them yes. were just handing out $10,000 checks like you all were, but they were realizing that 
the plans that an organization maybe had for what they were going to be yeah. doing are completely off the shelf now. And instead, you know, how can we just keep these organizations functioning and alive? So I think that's been yeah. a, an awesome trend to see. But it begs the question, why aren't uh, why isn't philanthropy doing that more often? And and do yeah. we think this goes back to the bigger theme of what we wanted to talk to you about the new normal, right? So yeah. let, there's lots mm -hmm. of layers to this, but let's get into the layer of the new normal around philanthropy. Do we think philanthropy will stay um, in this kind of a mindset of getting money out the door faster, perhaps uh, you know a bigger percentage, and uh, potentially more general operating support? What do you think? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say that there is a core, I, I think everyone is committed to doing things differently. I can also empathize that uh, different um, foundations have different types of boards that may want different things. But I do think that this presents an opportunity of, well, if we did, you know, the same thing we say about the state and the city, if they're able to push out new policies uh, in a in in a time of emergency, why can't we have those things all the time, right? Why can't we have um, support for you know undocumented you know individuals? Why can't we have support for people who don't uh, fit into um, the support of the traditional supportive services? So why can't philanthropy stay with general operating support? Why can't we stay with removal of barriers in terms of applications and reporting? So I do think it presents a an opportunity. And what I will say about the Chicago philanthropic sector, it's unique, I think, in the nation and that the group meets, we meet every Wednesday. So it's over 100 and uh, over 100 funders are represented on these calls on these zoom meetings. And we talk about stuff like this. So I, I do think there is an opportunity uh, to begin to shift as a sector in Chicago uh, towards some of these uh, what should be normal practices, but for some reason just never were. I think we get caught up in the sector that there are rules we have to follow when actually there really aren't many rules. There's only IRS rules we have to follow. We can really <laughs> think about, right, how we want to give out the funds and who we want to give it to and and in the way that's really up to us. Um, and right. so, yeah. No, that's not, I love that. And I hope, I hope that sticks. And just the fact, again, I think that is the unique thing about Chicago is the opportunity for collaboration, both on the funder side, uh, community-based organizations, working public private partnerships. Um, that is definitely something that I think Chicago does well. Let's talk about the new normal in the social sector, right? Um, yeah. Because both of us, you being a former ED, but knowing this space so well, um, you know, the, the things that I'm hoping will happen in the new normal is more leaders of color, um, mm -hmm. both uh, as uh, top leadership as well as on boards. Um, what do you think the probability of that happening or obstacles, or do you think there will be a, a new kind of newfound momentum for that of having the right kind of representation for the communities that you're serving? Um, I think it's, I think there is the opportunity for that. I think particularly with the COVID-19 fatality numbers that came out and also the current uprisings that we're seeing and then the Black Lives Matter movement, I think that there is now a reckoning, right, of whether or not um, claims of racial equity are hollow or if people are really putting, if you will, their money where their mouth is, right, and really coming through with these claims. And so to your point, you know, the new normal has to be a world where we are not... Um, 
I was talking with somebody this, this the other day, this is the insidiousness, if you will, of systemic and institutionalized racism is that it becomes so normalized. Anything beyond that is different. Anything yeah. beyond that is like revolutionary when actually, you know, the, the actual normal should not be what we have been experiencing, right? And so I keep thinking about how can Chicago become a city where every single one of her residents lives, can live here with dignity and respect. Uh, and we know that's not the case. We know that in many communities, people are dehumanized by their daily experiences just by living in the city. Um, and so those are, um, that's what I think about. And I think, and, 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 but I also, you know, this is part of my slightly cynical side. I am hopeful, but I'm also cautious because I've seen so much of, of narratives being co-opted and it's like, feel good. And yes, we're going to change. And then once the crisis is gone or, um, or, or the storm has passed, we so quickly as a country revert back. Yeah. Uh, and so we really have to be very intentional and con conscious to not revert back. No, that's right. Every Everyone racing out to make the statements. Everyone's yeah. making a statement. And actually, uh, Woods Fund sent theirs out today. And uh, much to <laughs> Michelle's credit. But that's because I toiled that, on it for a week and a half and I didn't want to so send it good. out. No, it's it's so good. But it was basically like statements are bullshit. And if you aren't doing action, like where are you at? Like what's what's the real action? And let's talk about the real issues. And again, providing links to smart resources and organizations that you already support and fund. And I think all those pieces that that's what's important. I mean, when you talk, I mean, for me, all the, the work that I'm trying to do and learning how to be a better ally, it's you have to do the work. And the work is there. It's not just saying I'm an ally. It's what the hell are you doing? Where are you? And I will say I uh, one of the things for me was I was I was out in the streets helping uh, Pastor Harris at Bright Star in Bronzeville. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I hear Janae. <laughs> and I look over and I see Michelle and her family marching along. She looks fresh and lovely in her outfit, oh, and very stylish. I'm sweating. I am disgusting. I have sweat through everything that I am wearing because I've been running up were. and down. You were carrying water, bottles of water, bags of bottle. Yes, it, it was. I was doing the hard, hard labor, but it was so good to see a familiar face, a and just have that like real talk discussion. Um, I will say, yeah. true confessions. We talked, but we didn't hug. And it was the hardest thing ever for Michelle and I not to hug each other when we see each other. Um, we are both huggers and, and and touchers and love kind of that, you know, physical contact with people and that connection. But just even getting the opportunity to connect after so long of not seeing each other in yeah. person in real yeah. life to just vibe off your energy for, you know, 15, 20 minutes of that walk was just super special, but you, you walk the talk and you know, it's something that I'm trying to do more of. If, if I'm going to be a leader of an organization that is doing this work, how do we show up and how do we show up personally and how do we show up as our mm -hmm. organizations? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So also all the pieces are so, so important. So, right. As it's interesting to, um, you keep saying uprising. I st had started using the word revolution, right? So it's mm -hmm. pandemic on top of uprising slash revolution, right? The things and the conditions that are happening right now in our environment make it so difficult to lead right now. Just so difficult yeah. to lead because there are so many unknowns of how 
how things are going to transpose, like, right, how, how everything's going to happen, what's going to happen with the election in November. Um, so many if, ands, or buts. Is is yeah. COVID going to come back in the winter? Will there be a second round? Are we truly in a recession? Will we move into a recession, right? So it's right. so layered and complicated. What are you finding as kind of your touchstone right now as a leader of keeping you grounded and focused? Because I'll be honest, like, there's been moments where I've 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 missed a touchstone and I've I've had those days where it's just it gets beyond and it gets super tough. Yeah. What are you doing for yourself? I think the you know, I think in philanthropy we have to have touchstones all the time because we're removed from the direct work, right? And so this is the first time for me I'm removed from the direct work, right? So <clears throat> Whereas when I was at Make for Challenge, and you know, I'm, people uh, should know, but Janae used to be on our board. Yeah. Um, you'd see the mission in front of your face every day. We have students who would come to the office and talk to you, and you would see your your impact in the flesh, right? And so in philanthropy, we have to have different types of touchstones. I think. For me, the touchstone, and I will say, I, 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 for the first two months of the pandemic, I was really struggling because I was grieving for community, yeah. um, grieving for the loss of community, but then also grieving for what communities were going through. And I was struggling with my privilege, um, the safety of my house, that you know I was gainfully employed, had you know food in the fridge, mm-hmm. uh, and I kept thinking about what was happening in Black and Brown communities, what was happening to families. Uh, what was happening to smaller nonprofits. So I think what keeps me grounded um, is I am very lucky to be at a place like Woods Fund because of the work that the grantees do. I can, to see what they do puts my life into perspective, puts my, if you will, troubles into perspective. The work, they've been out since day one, even working remotely, they were still having to figure out ways to provide mutual aid to their mm-hmm. communities. Um, they didn't have the the luxury, if you will, like I did, where I could ensconce myself in my home and just crank out emails. Yeah. Uh, and so um, that, it, in a weird way, is a touchstone for me, because if they can do that, then what can I do to remove the barriers for them? What can I do to create the space that they need to do that and, you know, and for, you know, people like them, like Chicago Cares, to just do yeah. that type of work. Yeah. And so, so important because I think, you know, I, I struggle with the same and we as an organization of like, you know, at, at the beginning of the pandemic, like the direct services that were needed were also not people being out and about and volunteering. Right. So, you mm-hmm. know, we canceled our programs and had to rethink what we were doing, et cetera. But then with the uprisings, all of a sudden there was a desperate need in communities for food resources and supplies because yeah. their grocery stores were closed, right? Their pharmacies yeah. were closed. So we sprung to action in a much more direct service way that made us feel um, just valued again and needed in all the right ways, which was so fantastic. But that also leads to this kind of bigger question, right, that we keep hearing about systematic racism and systems Mm. and systems change. What do you think the role philanthropy has to play in that? Because, um, you know, when I when I even try to explain racism to friends that are struggling with it, I try to point to systems. Yeah. It's hard, right? So I. 
um, <clears throat> you know, there are two definitions that people struggle with. There's the structural racism, which is like the accumulation of everything, our history, our policies, our practices, our stereotypes, right? Yep. And how all of that together creates what we view as a normal, normalized society that's really kind of centered on uh, this. There's this author that uses this incredible way of, he says it's, cent it's centered on the white body, mm. right? And so, so everything is different than the white body. Minorities are minorities because we are compared to the white body. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it, so everything and it, it's normalized. Right. And then systemic is it enables the structural racism. It's just like all the policies and practices that, you know, and, and how incredible the system is at just adapting. Like you get a win in one area and then there's a new policy that comes out and, 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 you know, some of it is, insidious if we look at our current administration and some of it is just not it's because it's again based off of a white normalized sort of experience yeah. um it's it, it i think is it's um i was listening to a podcast today seen on radio um season two is all about seeing whiteness mm. and one of the um inter one of the people interviewed on the podcast said um that we think of racism in this country backwards, that we start with the individual mm. and maybe make our way to the macro. So racism in America is always about individual acts of racism. It's right. about race relations between two people. It's about how do two people of different and opposing races get along as opposed to systemic racism. And so as, as a nation, we have never been taught that systemic racism exists. We only see it as a person-to-person -person issue. And then when people talk about it being, no, it's it's a much more intricate, multi-layered, designed system, people don't understand that. Uh, and I think it's just the it. way we talk yeah. about it. They can't grasp it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it, just... it is about constantly talking about it, constantly bringing it up making those examples, showing, you know, people, uh, you know, like I, I think about your, the people you who volunteer with Chicago Cares, right? And how much you guys have really tried to move volunteerism away from charity yes, uh, and yes. using the opportunity to really talk about systemic racism. Mm -hmm. But how often, right? You, we know, cause I know we've talked about this, people come in with the charity mindset and it's really about if you're volunteering in a community that's been decimated, how could you, why isn't there a question of why is there a food pantry? Yes. You know why saying? is there even a food pantry? Why does this even right. have to exist? Why that's does right. this even have to exist? Why do I have to, why, why does this exist? You know, and I hope that if people start asking those type of questions, it starts pointing back to, because there are systems in place that, create those conditions to exist. Nope, that's right. And I think, you know, the the clear fault lines in the social safety net, I'm kind of putting that in air quotes, right, that we have yeah. seen through this pandemic and again through this uprising um, has, I think, made that clear to the average Joe, uh, yeah. whether you're whatever side of the political party you're on, more people are seeing that. So I think that's yeah. really an important distinction. So again, we're, we're trying to do our best to educate volunteers so that when they serve in community, they're serving with not to, right? Important, important 
piece there. And then also having that understanding of driving them to action and some kind of change um, when you think about systems, right? Using your abilities, your power, your privilege to make that change in these larger systems. And the more people we can get activated around that, the quicker the change can happen. So we're excited to be doing this work and it looks good. So as we are wrapping up and we want to just thank you so much, Michelle, for just all your insight, your leadership and your support that you're providing to really end systematic racism, the work at the Woods Fund. And we are just so grateful for all that you're doing. And here at How Chicago Cares, we like to wrap up our interviews in a silly little way with a word association (laughs) game. So are you up for it? I'm up for it. Hopefully I do well. I really suck at these games. <laughs> okay. Well, it's it's not that hard, but the rules are I give you a word or phrase and you tell me the first word or phrase that pops into your head. So I'll okay. start. Got it? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Pizza. Deep dish. <laughs> Vacation. Oh, Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Chicago. Humble Park. COVID-19. Uh, scary. Volunteers. Needed and necessary. Civic engagement. Needed and necessary and so much more than voting. Yes. Protests. Needed and necessary and need to be seen as a part of a healthy democracy. Yes. Democracy is a verb. That's the mikvah slogan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Black Lives Matter. <sighs> that shouldn't even have to be a phrase. Yes, uh, that should I, just be our normal way of operating. Yep. I was also going to say period. Yeah. Black yeah. Lives Matter, period. Equity. Racial equity. And uh, how can we make sure that that once powerful word is not something now that rings hollow? Mm-hmm. Finally, future hopeful transformative yes that is a nice note to end on michelle you are so wonderful for joining us big virtual hug from me thank you for spending a little time with us today and can't wait to stay in touch thank you so much i so appreciate you guys inviting me uh, to the podcast and so exciting janae that you have a podcast me too me too thanks michelle <laughs> bye thank you bye That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to How Chicago Cares, our weekly podcast series exploring how Chicagoans can care for one another and make an impact during COVID and beyond. Despite the uncertainty of the COVID-19 pandemic, there are still many ways we can step up to support our neighbors and make an impact. And Chicago Cares is here to help you do that. Visit chicagocares.org today to start your volunteer journey. A huge thank you to our guest, Michelle Morales, for joining us today to discuss how we can create a new normal for Chicago that is more equitable and vibrant for all. Join us again next week when I'll be joined by Pastor Chris Harris from Bright Star Community Outreach to discuss how we can make service more mutual and how volunteerism can be rooted in sharing, not giving. Until then, I'm Janae Myers. When the COVID-19 pandemic ends, and it will end, Let's challenge ourselves to continue expanding our definition of what it means to serve one another so that the city can become more vibrant and equitable for all. Thank you for caring, Chicago.